Welcome to The Barkside, Veterinary Business and Leadership Unleashed, where we empower veterinary business owners and professionals like you to advance your private practice by leveraging the tools and strategies of big corporations. Welcome to The Barkside. Jordan, great to see you again. How are you doing? Good, thanks, man. So we wanted to unpack that uh, essential business skills for veterinarians. We've talked about the staff. I'll remind those six things that we wanted to discuss. Uh, so staff management and leadership we did last time. And then we still need to talk about financial management. We need to talk about client relationship, inventory management, marketing, and legal and compliance knowledge. What do you want to unpack today? Well, you can't really have a successful business unless you have a heap of clients and a heap of clients that come back and remain loyal. One of the big issues with uh, veterinary practices is attrition and retention. So have every touch base and uh, have a look and have a chat about client relationships. Love that. And I, and I immediately, when you said about the client retention and uh, relationship, it's interesting because we just built the urgent care here in Moncton and planning to build another one. And I realized that actually through marketing and through client relationship, I realized that they could be completely different. Because in urgent care, you effectively not building the client relationship. It's only there and then. Um, and most people don't remember where they went when there was an emergency. So that's just like a one-time thing. And then we're talking about GP uh, or primary care where there is a long-term relationship and there's different strategy. And I don't know if you can think of any other type, but those are the two that I can think of. Uh, why don't we go into yeah, specialty, specialty care? Specialty care, that's another one. Yeah, actually, that's interesting. So why don't we unpack maybe, let's start with the primary care, and then maybe we can, if there's any particular topics, we can then compare that aspect with all three. So kind of put it through the lens Urgent of all three. And special. Right? Mm, yeah. yeah. So what are those fundamentals, uh, the foundational things that you need for client relationship management? Well, I suppose it, if you want to have a loyal client, it's the experience that they have when they first experience your practice and, and your team. And then ultimately, after that experience where they've given you a go and whether or not they become loyal or not is dependent on what they experience and what they feel. And then ultimately, it comes down to whether or not they trust. They trust and they feel like as if they've been or you've been open honest and transparent so yeah well let's let's start there how do you so we let's so we'll talk about how do we get the client in the door in the marketing section but then now they're here yeah that's a that's a big deep yeah so now they're here and uh so you're seeing a client for the first time what are those first steps to establish that immediate trust to get them to understand what you're explaining to them how do you do that effectively mm. not making them feel like they're stupid and also, so, yeah, let's should we tackle this there. from the veterinarian's perspective? Like, because main revenue earners and like the, the rest of the teams is, is, is important, but then quite often it's the, the care that's provided and how the veterinarians made the clients feel in the consult room. So maybe we'll, we'll focus on the veterinarian. So my feel is that we've covered transparency and honesty. And the way that that would look is obviously when they, they come in and their pet has a condition or a disease and you need to develop a plan with them and work with them. So you've got to collaborate with them. Ultimately, during that process, they need to feel that they've been heard or they need to feel like as if you understand what they're experiencing. When I do consultation coaching, there's three levels of, of communication. There's one is transactional um, consultations where the 
client comes in and then the vet then hears and then goes, this is what we need to do. And it's done. It's kind of like transacting. Then there's value-based, which is where the value is provided for the, like, so the vet delivers the management plan and then just explains the value of that. Um, but then next level of that is what I call emotion value-based consultations. And this is where they feel like as if the vet understands and, 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 and hears them. And this is a really deliberate kind of conversation. It involves active listening. So hearing and then listening and then um, acknowledging empathy. And I, I, for me, I'm a bit of a robot. So it takes a little bit for me to actually deliberately kind of um, empathize. And I have to almost kind of project and think about how they would feel rather than I actually feel it myself. So empathy and acknowledging the feeling and emotion that um, the client's experience. So I could see that you're worried and I would be too. And what we need to do here is to do ABC and that will address our concerns and make us feel more comfortable that we know what we're doing moving forward. So using emotive words and, and linking what your plan is to how it solves their emotions. And then when it comes to the plan and the cost and the expense, then open and honest uh, conversations. And when I hear consults, quite often when I, when I perform consult room coaching on transcripts of veterinarians, it comes to, I feel, I don't know if this, you would agree with me, Ivan, veterinarians do great for almost the whole entire part of the conversation until they get to the financial discussion. What's your thoughts? Well, there, there's a lot that you said there. So uh, in terms of the financial piece, I agree that this is where the kind of the whole, you know, they could be a great presenter, they could explain everything, they could show empathy. And then our, you know, go to is to discount and make sure that you don't overprice. Or there's this mm. radical opposite where people are just gouging the clients, which happens, unfortunately happens more than I would like to see in our profession. So where's that happy medium between A, so you you buy, you buy get into, I'm, I'm just trying to say back to you what you just articulated, then A, you need to get into the trust zone with them so they feel like you are here as a part of their solution, not a part of their problem. Mm. Because when they're coming in, you're the problem. And I'm talking mm. about urgent care, for example, or emergency. That's what I'm mm. most used to. Nobody wants to be in urgent care. Nobody is there because they no, want it, you know, at 6 p.m. sitting, having a beer in front of TV and their dog starts puking. The last thing people want mm. to do is be at the bed. So then you're the part of a problem. How do you convert that into becoming a part of a solution through understanding their problem and then articulate what needs to be done in a way that that's what you would have done with all the vast knowledge that you have, which I will ask you the mm. question. I don't know if I interpreted well what you said, but the question I would ask you back is it just came to my mind that most of the time when you're presenting a plan, I don't know why, maybe it's just me, but people ask me this, like every second consult, I think they would ask you, they say, what would you do? Mm. How do you answer that question? Yeah. How do you answer that question? What I, would you do if it was your pet? Yeah. I, I, I generally just rolled it in. I go, if this was you know my dog, I I would feel stress and I would be concerned. And you know, you brought your pet in, and look, that would be what I would do too. So you know, if you're concerned that maybe you were overreacting, you weren't. So acknowledging, deliberately acknowledging, and then using the feeling words that they would be experiencing. That's really important for me because if I don't say that, then I don't really kind of like see it or don't really necessarily feel it. So it's kind of putting myself in their shoes, and they could see through that process that I am kind of experiencing and feeling what they're feeling. So then rolling in with that. So what I would do is I would do X, Y, Z, and that would make us feel, so it's together, that would make me feel more comfortable because that would give me information. And then with that, 
you would have more information to be to, to be more clear and certain and more confident in making the decision that we need to make this together moving forward. So I use a lot of words like together, us, and then, but I do reiterate that I'm here to help you, right? What I often do is I deflect, I purposely deflect the problem because exactly what you said there, which is we are actually part of the problem. So I purposely deflect back to the dog or the cat. I go, well, Fluffy, if only you didn't eat that bone this morning, then mummy wouldn't be here with me now, right? So then it's kind of like purposely saying, but I can't get angry at the vet because Fluffy ate it, right? But then actually they fed the bone. So I do that just to kind of take the the heat that is about to come once I then deliver the plan and then the financial estimate. And the financial estimate part, would you agree the financial estimate part still to this day, maybe is really uncomfortable or is it, is it good? No, for absolutely. You? Like, is it no, easy? absolutely. And, yeah. and, and I would love to hear you cause you've done a lot of coaching around this. I would love to hear it, but I just wanted to add that I try to do that too. Like mainly not blaming the animal, but talking about it. But for example, when I explain the blood work or x-rays, I always say, well, if fluffy, if you could just tell us where it hurts yes. and that would be great. Yeah. But if you don't, then we'll have to take an x-ray or do the blood work and just kind of like having a conversation mm. with the pet as well. Um, yeah. And then, and then, yeah. And then kind of, you know, when, when something is obvious, I like to add a little bit of humor in there, even though yeah. it's a stressful situation, but you know, we have lots yeah. of porcupine coils. And as they're coming in and they're just stuffed with these quills in their face. And I've never seen that. Actually, I've seen it. I wish I would come over because it just looks so kind of like satisfying. Oh, yeah. Satisfying. And, and, pulling, and pulling them is satisfying as well. But but I always ask the pet when I come in and I was asking, did you get him? Did you get him this time? And, and it just <laughs> kind of turns into a little bit of a humor. But tell me, tell me about what are you coaching? Because this is an important part about the money conversation. I guess that kind of rolls back into the value. Like, cause we need mm. to explain not the price. We need to explain the value yes. and that's how I kind of understand it. So what, what do you coach, you know, the younger vets, you've, you've gone through tons of new grads, converting them into ER vets. How do you, because this is the hardest part for, and, and I think, again, I, I'll just preface that a little bit with the fact that I think that the ER vet job is easier in selling mm. than the GP. Yes. Because it's almost like selling vitamins versus medication. Right. I think that yeah. in the primary care, you're almost like suggesting things preventatively when you're here mm. in urgent care, the sale, if you will, process is much easier because you are in trouble and you have to do it. And mm. in many instances, you have to do it because that life depends on that. So I think that yeah. ultimately, as as crude as it sounds like the sales process is easier in urgent care. And that's why, you know, the higher tickets are possible and, and all of that kind of stuff if we mm. talk purely business. But but what do you uh, usually train the vets when they convey the value or the pricing? Yeah, so for me, it's a, it's a whole process because it's all leading up to it, right? You want to make your, the vast majority of time when I talk to vets, they really know what the plan is. They kind of have a plan in their head about what they're going to do. New grads kind of think about differentials. Yeah, differentials are cool, but mostly for me, it's like, what's the diagnostic test that would help me get the information to find out more? So, so I do what you do as well, which is kind of like emphasize the, the problems and emphasize the fact that I'm just a human in the sense that I don't have, and I go, look, I wish I had my hands could take x-rays and that I could kind of be able to do blood tests. Just, you know, I wish I'd be able to tell, but unfortunately, you know, we have... I'm only limited to what I could feel and what I could hear. And even this thing 
we can hear a lot, but actually it doesn't really show us what's going on in the inside. So we emphasize the limitations so that they don't expect magic. And then at the same time, I don't, especially if you've really got a plan in your head, I don't confuse the owner with all the good things. So what I hear in a lot of consults in general practice is that they, the pet's sick, they do the exam, but yet they go through and then go through, oh, his eyes are clear. Um, his teeth are great. Oh, you must, you know, um, he doesn't have any enlarged lymph nodes. He's got, his belly is a bit sore. And then, um, look, he's got a bit of a temperature. So what do we need to do now is spend $3,000, right? So they don't necessarily jump to that point, but what they've done there is they've gone, I call it the roller coaster. The client is like, oh, that's good. That's good. Like the client is like concerned that something needs to be done, but yeah, they hear all this good stuff, which is actually irrelevant for actually what's happening with the pet. So they kind of like build this up. Things are good. Things are good. And then all of a sudden something's bad. But then they don't actually emphasize the bad. They use things, words like, oh, he's a little bit sore in his belly. Is it a little bit sore? Is it fucking sore? It's sore. Okay. So don't actually say a little bit sore to downplay the, the issue. So is it sore? Yes, it's sore. So he is painful in his abdomen. He's painful in his belly. And then it's like, oh, his temperature. So instead of saying, oh, he's got a little bit of a temperature, but it's not too high. It's either he's got a fever or he doesn't have a fever. Like what's going on? So it's like, and his temperature's high, right? So it's, it's confirmatory and definitive language that's not confusing. So then all the client hears is bad, 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 but also it's bad. Not like could be bad, not so bad, right? So then when it comes to the, to the delivery of the plan, it's all about solving the problems. Um, so no, I love that. And uh, I, I didn't think about it this way, but just using, you know, not minimizing the problem. I like that. The other thing that I use a lot now, and, and I have been out of practice for a while. So, and what's different was eight years ago, I think I was practicing. Now I'm, I'm back in the exam room is that everybody was talking about how bad Google is. And I actually use it to my advantage. Oh, it's the best. I know. I come in and they know everything and they know what I'm, I need to yeah. do. Because I come in and that's actually a lot of the times the first thing that I ask because people already Google, already understand what's going on. Mm. And they kind of test mm. you. They want to see if you actually match the Google. So I actually lead with this question a lot because people are coming in and uh, they want to hear that you confirm what they researched. Mm. They don't want to be mm. addicted even if, if mm. what they Googled is not true. But if you have like a blog mm. cap coming in and most of the time people Google in and out of the litter box, vocalizing, you know, red urine and stuff like that. So I come in and I usually start with, I'm like, did you guys Google it already? Because this is quite, you know, quite important. And then I just get a feel for that. Uh, mm. Because if they did, it's like, well, as you probably read on Google, this is quite a severe condition that could be uh, terminal if we don't mm. treat it. And it's actually really nice to have that second source that you're confirming. Um, so that's mm. another little trick that I think I use. And then, mm. uh, well, let's move on. So, okay. So we established the trust. We delivered the value in the exam room. How do you actually present the plan? Like, how do you, what do you actually explain? Let's say, I don't know what's your flow. Our flow is, you're like, all right, well, I'm going to go and create an estimate of things to do based on what I've just observed. And we'll go over that. What does that conversation look like when you come in with the estimate? Yeah. So when they, they generally go or think, what, okay, what could it be? What could it be? So what I generally generate is something really, really bad and something that is not so bad. So, and in my head, like I, I know estimates in my head. So I don't generally like to go do an estimate and come back. It's kind of like, for, like I've never actually ever had to do that. 
So I would always, but I, I made a mind and uh, he told me about it. Like he calls it the pendulum, right? And if you're in general practice, in, so emergency practice, it's easier because they're, they're sick. But in general practice, you've got to bring the pain into the present. You've got to bring the disease that is, is present that's not so bad. Whoever designed dental scoring did a terrible job for veterinarians all around the world because a dental score of one just, just does not sound urgent. So either way, if you've got dental disease, it's disease, it's got dental disease. So basically what I do is I swing it to the possibility of what it could be that's not so good, right? So he's vomiting and he had a bone. Look, the worst case that it could be here is that it could be a foreign body. And in order to determine that, we would need to you know, do x-rays and ultrasound and whatever. But for us to do that and manage that, it could be around about $4,000. And I let them sit with that. So that's swinging it to like the, oh my God, we friggin' do not want that. And I would bring it back down. And it's like, but the other, you know, other possibilities is, is that maybe he did eat something and he's just a bit off. But because I can't really determine what it is that's going on in the exam room, then we need more information to be able to determine because if he's got a foreign body, then it's going to get worse and it's urgent. So then I roll into the plan. So in order to get more information, we do douche. And what that explains is this. And then for us to do that, for us, you know, when I get to the point of explaining the diagnostic value, then I link it to the emotional value. So then it's like, so for us to do all that, which will provide us with the information we need to be, to feel like as if we're informed and we have all the, um, and we're comfortable with having eliminated foreign bodies as a potential cause then, and that will make us feel a lot more comfortable for him going home and, 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 and you get to be taking care of him. Then I'll go into the finance. I like that. So, so hit on the worst case scenario. And then I do the same thing. I think I, I, I talk about, okay, well, the worst thing that could be is X, but in order to mm. eliminate that possibility, we just need to do X-ray and blood work to make sure it's not that mm. once we know it's not that, we can easily treat it with this simple plan. That's sort of kind of how I structure it in my head. Yeah. So what I do is very similar, but what I do is I emphasize the point that it could be this and the goal tonight is to rule out that. And to rule out that is this expense, right? The best case scenario here, what I do is I get the best case scenario here is that we've ruled that out and he has gastro, right? So what I do is paint the picture of what we want is the most likely thing was that he maybe ate something, got a bit sick, and he, you know, he spent maybe 1500 bucks. We wrote, but we don't want them the next day to pay the bill and then to go and feel and experience that they've just paid 1500 bucks for gastro. They paid 1500 bucks to rule out an obstruction. Yeah, to prevent the worst. And we, mm. we blew through the time without talking about client engagement and education, which I also want to do, but maybe we'll go a little <laughs> marketing conversation. I just want to stay loyal to our time limits because people don't probably want to listen for you more than 20 minutes in a row. Um, <laughs> listen to me. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a good conversation. Let's uh, roll into the next topic. Maybe we will talk about uh, marketing and how do you roll the client's communication into marketing and then wrap those two together. Yeah. Because it's all about effective communication, client engagement, understanding them, and you know, linking and under, yeah, linking and sharing your message and how it helps them. So that would roll in pretty nicely for next time. Awesome. Well, that was a good conversation. Looking forward to the next one.